0: Join us for the Criterion Institute podcast as Joy Anderson, a global thought leader in business and social change, leads us through a series of discussions, interviews, frameworks, rants, and reframes that will help you better understand how to use finance as a tool for transformative systems change. Welcome. I am Joy, and this is the Criterion Institute podcast. In this episode, we're going to weave together three segments around one core idea, which is how do we design investment vehicles that work for the context in which they're investing? And I will say that I find it a bit shocking that we actually need to talk about designing to meet the needs of the context in which we're investing don't you think that's what we should have been doing all along the first one we're going to look at is uh, a slogan that criterion's going to that criterion's been playing with for a while fix the capital not the company there's a challenge of how much money we are spending on technical assistance, investment readiness programs that assume that the problem in investing is that the companies need to change to be able to take investment capital. Why on earth don't we spend more effort making sure that the capital is designed to meet the needs of the companies rather than fixing the companies to meet the needs of the capital? Which leads to the second ep- the second segment, which is focused on Normal growth businesses. This is actually a radically underserved type of business. Ironically enough, it is one of the most stable, profitable over time types of companies to invest in. It's just remarkable. And yet, we struggle to have enough investment vehicles that meet the needs of normal growth businesses rather than targeting normal growth businesses and trying to make them high growth businesses. And not for nothing, in general, women tend to build, tend to start, grow, normal growth businesses. They grow one revenue line at a time. And so there are gender dynamics to why we are prioritizing high growth businesses over normal growth businesses. Finally, in the third segment, we're going to look at how do we solve for the ecosystem, not the enterprise. In this case, we're looking particularly at the menstrual health market in the Pacific Islands as a case study of really looking at the question, if the market's not functioning and we make, we're make we seeking to make investments in the enterprise, we're going to keep coming against the problems in the market. How can we invest to address the problems in the market that are shared by many enterprises? So how do we invest in an ecosystem in shifting the patterns, the dynamics, the power dynamics in particular in the market in such a way that the enterprises are more likely to flourish? So how do we design, across these three segments of this episode, we're looking at how do we design better investment vehicles? Enjoy. I don't actually know, because we can't seem to find a way to get to this data point, I don't know how much money is spent on technical assistance or business development services for, for companies, uh, but a significant number of philanthropies, governments, their way to support access to capital is to fund technical assistance providers who can go in and provide the services that a company needs to make themselves ready for capital, capital readiness. I don't know, all these different terms that this is called. And the broad frame around this is almost always inclusion, access, the holy grail of more people have access to capital. So. It seems like a good thing. And I really want to say from the bottom of my bottom of the bottom of my heart, I want anybody who wants those kinds of services, who wants help in their business to be able to have access to it. And if they need a bit of training to be able to, or a bit of business planning help to be able to get that investor on board, I'm all for it. But here's the problem. That Technical assistance has the point of view of the investor, whether it's an intermediary or a accelerator. Oh, my goodness. When I used to be faculty, I don't do it as much anymore, but faculty on an accelerator's I would do the math and realize that close to 60, 70% of the time in this accelerator, we're supporting businesses to be able to to develop. 60 or 70% of the time was spent on preparing to pitch to investors. So the technical assistance that's being provided is not figure out who you are and what you want to be in the world and let's help you become that. It's Let us explain to you what investors want and what you need to change in your business so you can get their money. The problem here is that many, 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 many times we are creating a change in a business so they can access a kind of capital that they do not need. I remember once I was at an accelerator and a bunch of people had talked to her about growth and 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 growth and, growth and, growth. and here's what you need to grow because to be able to grow, you need this and investors need growth. And so here's how you grow. And I found her later in the day, literally in a corner, crying her eyes out, saying that she was leaving the accelerator the next day because she had failed. She did not see growth in her future. She just wanted to continue to create these maternal health devices in her kitchen. And she did not want to grow. And if she could not grow, she could not be a business because that's what everybody told her. How do we do this to people? Regularly, the number gets thrown out that 3% of venture capital goes to women. I get that that's, that's a bad number in terms of, you know, the bias that exists in venture capital, blah, blah, blah. I get that. It's a bad number. Nobody ever seems to say how bloody brilliant women are for not taking the most expensive form of capital available on the planet that will take your business from you and maybe do good things. But venture capital should not be the ideal of what we're all living towards. We worked in the Pacific Islands and there was a whole effort, a lot of our, I love working in the Pacific. It's just a, a, It has grounded my sense of how the world works in some remarkable ways. But there was a set of impact investors who were trying to work in the Pacific Islands and they were trying to figure out who could get to scale in the Pacific. Now, the Pacific is an amazingly rich geography in terms of its assets, but it is isolated. Scale is not as possible. It's not even the goal. Like sustainability, resilience is a really important goal more than scale. But we spent time with these investors as they were trying to fashion companies into scalable ventures to meet the needs of their capital. And so, the number that is unknown about how much money we spend on technical assistance to fix the companies so they can take capital. I would like to take 20% of that, hack 50% of that, and spend it on fixing the capital so it meets the needs of the enterprises versus fixing the companies. Why can't we spend time fixing capital so it works for more people rather than infusing more and more money into fixing companies so they can produce in the way that the capital structures need? Just a thought. A couple of years ago, maybe eight years ago, I was on the board of Village Capital, and Village Capital was leading some really interesting thinking about normal growth businesses. Because the reality is many financing structures are geared towards high growth businesses, and they were exploring based on the learning from how many ventures were showing up at Village Capital and, and participating in its programs that actually weren't looking at high growth, but were looking for more normal growth. Normal growth meaning general growing one revenue line at a time. Um, and most, just at the quick divide here is that in general, capital going into high growth businesses is seeking to take a piece of the whole company, right? They want equity into the whole company to be able to participate in the growth. Normal growth financing needs to target to the fact that we're growing one revenue line at a time, right? So just a quick example, if you're running a hair salon and you're providing that service all day and you decide to add on a shampoo product line that you're selling in the entryway, you shouldn't have to give up a piece of your whole hair salon to have financing for adding in this one revenue line of hair products. So, so it's it's a it's a kind of normal thing to think about this balance between normal growth and high growth financing and, and how do we distinguish that? The reality is women tend to build normal growth businesses. That's actually setting aside the, the sort of disgruntlement that women don't build enough high-growth businesses. We could celebrate the fact that women really dominate in, in normal growth businesses, which are, by the way, the mainstay of any economy. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, huh, normal growth businesses. There's a gendered angle to normal growth businesses. Let me explore that. How about I start a working group, pull some people together? We ended up getting some really cool investors and other actors together to think about the gendered nature of of normal growth businesses and and how do we really support women entrepreneurs and, and gender minorities who are building normal growth businesses. And then I got a phone call from a friend who said, Hey, Joy. Could you not focus on this? Could you not focus on normal growth businesses? Because I I think normal growth businesses are really important, and we need to focus on them. And if you take them on and associate them with gender lens investing, you'll devalue normal growth businesses. You'll devalue the financing that we're trying to organize. She wasn't wrong. Industries that are gendered female in that process they're devalued. Nursing, teaching are professions where the salaries go down with the increase of women as workers and go up. This is not wrong. But of course, my answer was game on. Let's figure out how do we continue to articulate the value of normal growth businesses and ensure that in that we are addressing the norms, addressing the biases, addressing our assumptions about what weakness looks like and continuing that conversation honestly and front on. So game on. A few years ago, DFAT, the Department of Foreign Aid and Trade, the Australian donor agency, invited us to work on solving for the menstrual health market in the Pacific Islands. They had been working on a report that looked at the dynamics around menstrual health in the Pacific and had come up with some interesting insights, but wanted to figure out if there was sort of what you might call a market-based solution for this or a business solution for the insights that they had found. And so we started and built on the insights in this paper and explored what was happening within the market and called together a set of leaders of enterprises in the Pacific who were all working in menstrual health in different angles. What we had learned in our research was that most of these ventures were not what you might call scalable. They weren't very big to start with. Many of them had revenue under $100,000, and they really weren't actually particularly interested, most of them, in significant growth. They wanted to serve their community. They wanted to meet the menstrual health needs in that community and be contextually responsive and build trust, because of course, so much of working on menstrual health is actually about addressing the norms around it. It's not just a kind of, it's not your normal market, right? It's a thing that has lots of cultural mores around it that are often incredibly destructive, of course, not always. And so we're looking at these ventures and they were They were cool, right? Amazing leaders doing remarkable things, but thinking about it as bringing them together to figure out how to scale their companies was a bad idea. And often is, by the way, just saying the assumption being that we should scale something is often not a super-de-duper great starting place. So what we said is we're going to bring these folks together with the purpose of using finance to strengthen the ecosystem didn't really know what that meant. Sounded good at the time, but we're trying to finance the ecosystem, not finance the enterprise. It's a little bit of a reframe, right? In the midst of this, thinking about an ecosystem and what will make it work better versus thinking about it one enterprise at a time and how do we fix the individual enterprise or strengthen the individual enterprise versus how do we stabilize the market? How do we strengthen the market? Because Well, the world needs is for there to be adequate, diverse mental health products that are available to anybody who wants to purchase them or use them if they cannot afford them. All of this is about a market that responds to a pretty substantial, ubiquitous need in the world. And so how do we stay focused on solving for that market versus solving for the needs of an individual enterprise? So we brought this group together Oh, it was just a wonderful couple of days in in Melbourne. We sort of flew a bunch of folks in from the Pacific and focused on them telling their stories, them talking about their businesses, them talking about the context in which they're in and with each other, identifying what the solutions might be. And one pattern started emerging, which is that each of the ventures, each of these enterprises talked about the costs and the problems tied to materials. It was a steady refrain of how difficult, how expensive, how time-consuming, how burdensome it was to get the cloth, so many of them were creating reusable menstrual pads, and to purchase the cloth and the filling, the bedding, the snaps, all of the things that actually went together to make a reusable menstrual pad were what were hard for them. And some of them were spending up to 75% of their revenue on materials. Okay, that would make sense in some manufacturing context, but not this one, right? The cost of sewing and the labor of that And marketing and addressing the social norms around this should have been a more significant part of their time, not what did it take to import materials. And so we looked at that as a common problem. And essentially, it was a market problem. It was not the fault of any of these ventures that importing materials into the Pacific Islands is a fragmented process they didn't cause that problem that problem was a market problem and so what we said about doing is saying could we finance a way to improve this ecosystem to strengthen the ability of any enterprise to be able to get access to the raw materials to be able to create menstrual health pads and so within that What was also really helpful is many of them were producing very similar pads. They all needed a similar material in the middle called Zorb or Pool, P-U-L. It's a particular product that allows for the absorbency inside of these pads. And so we were able to isolate a particular part of the market that was challenging for a range of enterprises and then figure out, okay, let's use trade finance. Let's use trade finance to finance that material. So we weren't financing the business. We were financing the imports. We are financing the trade. We we're financing their access to materials. And the other thing that this allowed us to do is to take the risk away from the enterprises. Because again, it wasn't their problem that the market wasn't working. And so why did it have to be their risk to fix the market problem? So we're able to design a trade finance vehicle that allowed them to purchase material at a significant reduction in cost. We reduced the cost for many of these ventures by close to 50 to 60 percent. So a significant reduction in the cost of materials higher leverage in their purchasing power to be able to negotiate not just better rates but better transportation, better access to these materials. They weren't standing waiting for a container to come in and negotiate all of this. And so we were financing better market ecosystem in which these enterprises could then participate. And I think so often We think about finance as allowing an enterprise to navigate a failed market versus saying, how can we actually look at the challenges that exist that are common for many enterprises within the market and solve for them? But what that required from the beginning was that we assume that the problem wasn't the venture. So often when we're going in, often as investors, we're saying, look, how do we fix these companies so that they're high growth? How do we ensure that they have better business models that are more profitable and that will enable our investment? Blah, 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 blah. Like At some point, we start with a set of assumptions that the problems sit with the enterprise and that then we will make them robust enough to navigate the complexities of a market versus saying, can we intervene at a market level? And this is a unique value that I think investors have, because they are always investing in a portfolio. They're always intervening across a market versus just at the level of an enterprise. And I think we can get to more sophisticated solutions to address inequalities by looking at that ecosystem, not just at the enterprise. And so Lo and behold, several years later, a trade finance, the menstrual health trade finance vehicle has been launched and it has repaid a first round of of investments and is continuing to look at how do we take this kind of thinking of looking at an ecosystem problem at a market problem and using finance to solve for it. To learn more about our work, visit us at criterioninstitute.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Your reviews help our podcast reach a wider audience. Thanks for listening.